Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Scalar Learning Podcast, the podcast that is all about education, education-related content. Again, if you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast, I encourage you to please do so. This summer, we've got an episode coming out every day, so it's going to be action-packed, tons of useful content. I highly recommend you subscribe if you are interested. Today, we are doing another career spotlight to highlight once again why math is so important and the role it plays later on in life when you get out into the professional world. And today we have somebody who is very, very accomplished in the, in the world of technology. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of his background shortly right before I introduce him. And it's a real pre- pleasure and privilege to have him on. He's got an extremely busy schedule. So I hope you guys take a listen. And even if there's students out there listening who who are listening in are like, wow, what this guy does is so cool. I, I'm interested in that. I hope that you can really follow along and see what he does on a day-to-day basis. And, and you can email me if you have questions. I can hopefully give you some additional guidance as well. So we have Samir Kumar on the show today. Samir, I'm going to let him talk more about himself, but he's worked at a number of amazing companies. He's worked at Microsoft. He has worked at Samsung, and he is currently the Senior Director of Business Development and Product Management at Qualcomm. And I know Qualcomm very well because not only are they an amazing technology company, but they have a robust legal staff there. And again, you know, I used to practice patent law, so they have amazing patent attorneys in-house that work there. So that is Samir Kumar. Without further ado, Samir, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Josefa. Good to talk to you. Yeah, good to talk to you too, man. Thank you for joining us. So I, I gave a little general overview of your background. So why don't you tell us a little bit more, like, where'd you go to school? What'd you study? And so on and so forth. Sure. Sounds good. So I did my undergrad at Cornell University. Um, I was a mechanical engineer is what my major is in. Um, but, you know, that was not something that I ended up practicing as a something in my day-to-day profession after graduation. Um, right from the beginning, after graduating from Cornell, I went to Microsoft. Uh, so immediately into um, you know the IT space in terms of uh, information technology for uh, you know uh, large corporations, but you know desktop computing, mobile computing. Uh, I was there for a little over nine years, um, doing everything from uh, you know uh, IT server infrastructure and uh, like I said, PC client computing. I got very early on into mobile computing in the early days of things like pocket PC and smartphones. Um, and then in later in my career, moving into doing uh, things that were more oriented in product management and product planning to help define future propositions that Microsoft would create uh, in the IT space. And then after that, I went on to Palm for a little while, uh, then Samsung, and then now I'm at Qualcomm. But all along in product management and more recently in business development oriented roles. And even though these are business slash marketing type of functions, because you're in tech, these are fairly technical in that you are helping to lead decisions made by engineering teams. Uh, And therefore, you have to be 
fairly technically deep in the subject matter that you're dealing with or helping to shape value propositions in. What was it about your interest in college or just your interest in general that early on led you to think that, okay, hey, you know what, Microsoft and this type of a role would be a good fit for me. What were the things in your in, in what you like to do that made this career path uh, made, make sense? Yeah, it's a great question. And I don't know if there's an exact, uh, I guess, formula for how I ended up here. A lot of it was uh, timing and luck, of course. Uh, but as you think about, you know, what do engineers excel at? And it is really analytical problem solving. Uh, being able to take a problem, decompose it, uh, and then being able to solve the parts and then come up with a holistic solution. And then also being, um, uh, you know, having the horsepower as well as the aptitude to pick up new subject matter, uh, especially one that is uh, more technically oriented, whether it's in the sciences or in engineering uh, or in computer science. Um, having that core background and that core kind of capability in math, uh, as an example, and in the sciences um, I would say is the thing that intersects both my uh, college education as well as what I do in my professional career. Um, so I think, you know, early on, even if you go back before uh, Cornell, I was always kind of a computer geek, as you know, many folks are. Um, and that was more of a personal interest, personal hobby kind of thing versus what my four years of undergrad education were in. But I, I would say if I go back and look at the ability to uh, absorb new material, to think about problems critically, think about uh, analytical problem solving, that is something that you learn to do as an engineer. And then if you look at what's inside of that, there, there is the analytical thinking comes from uh, doing quantitative reasoning, which is math. Uh, and then also understanding the sciences which, on which you build your foundation for any kind of uh, engineering scenario. So have you always liked math and the sciences than growing up? You were always big into those two topics? You know, it's a great question. I would say the sciences, I can go all the way back to grade school, having a fascination with the physical sciences, especially physics and astronomy. Uh, math, I, was, I would say I was good at. And, you know, I learned math. I enjoyed certain elements of math. But I would say if I were to go back and reflect on you know, my fascination with math, that's actually a much more recent phenomenon. And I would argue it's something I've become more fascinated with after finishing school than I ever had or ever was uh, engaged in uh, while I was in high school or in college. Um, it was something I did, I learned, I practiced, but it never kind of uh, early on piqued my curiosity the way the physical sciences did. That's radically changed, I would say, in the last 10 years. Um, and I think this has a lot to do with how math is taught uh, in grade school and in high school. And how do you appeal to a young person's fascination with math and the physical world and the sciences? Um, and for me, it was a journey of discovery on my own after finishing school versus when I was in school. That's so interesting. So what in particular, so what were the new things or what were the pieces of math that then drew you back and then you started practicing again? It's a good question. So I think today, as you look at, um, you know, my journey into my more recent fascination with math has been, you know, more of kind of, a, you know, just stumbling into things because I was researching something else for personal interest. So, you know, for example, uh, always been fascinated with things like quantum mechanics. Uh, but as I've cultivated my interest and understanding of quantum mechanics, that has led me to a field of uh, a new field, which is, you know, uh, rapidly getting a lot of attention, which is quantum computing. And as you dig into quantum computing, you understand that there's 
underlying ideas in mathematics and information theory and computation, for example, which is very tightly coupled with the foundations of mathematics. Um, and I did this mostly out of personal interest and seeing the connections between very different fields. Um, some that were of interest to me for professional reasons, like machine learning and artificial intelligence, and others that were just continuation of my personal fascination with uh, uh, different elements of science. So I think for me it was, you know, seeing the connections, seeing, you know, how things are related, where things overlap. You may think of one field as being very far away from another, but when you dig into it, you realize, wow, there's uh, things, there's connections there that you would never imagine uh, seeing. So a great example is when you're in grade school, or not in grade school, in high school, and uh, I, I guess even in grade school, and you learn the concept of imaginary numbers. I mean, how many of us ever think something called an imaginary number would have uh, an application in the real world that you and I would ever have to deal with in a professional setting? And, you know, you'd be surprised to learn just how important things like imaginary numbers are, not just on paper, uh, but in fields like artificial intelligence and machine learning. Uh, so that's an example of seeing a connection where you learn a concept many, many years ago. You never really had to use it in your professional life. And all of a sudden it shows up and you're like, wow, I finally see why this is so important. Yeah. And see, and that's a problem even today still with with math education is a lot of the dots, don't con even though the dots do connect, in fact, they're not connected in the classroom. And I think that can be a problem and a reason why there's so much disengagement usually. But you mentioned you mentioned a few amazing terms and concepts uh, just for the kids that are out there, even parents that are listening that are unfamiliar with these terms. Could you explain a couple of them, which were I think you mentioned machine learning, you mentioned quantum mechanics and you mentioned quantum computing. Great, great. Absolutely. So machine learning today, I'm sure if you pay attention to either the, the tech press and media or even the general press and media, there's a lot of excitement and hype about artificial intelligence and machines. And, you know, people use that interchangeably with robots, uh, being able to perform human-like tasks and whether it's at the level of a human being or surpassing the capabilities of a human being. But when you really look into, well, what are we all talking about? What is the breakthrough in artificial intelligence that all of a sudden we feel like, wow, we're on the cusp of something really big. It really is uh, breakthroughs in a branch of uh, statistical mathematics, statistical learning called machine learning. Um, and what machine learning is, you're able to train a computer instead of programming a computer to learn how to perform a particular task, whether it's recognizing you know, cats from dogs, being able to look for patterns in data, being able to drive a car, being able to, you know, allow a robot to move around in the world, uh, you know, being able to recognize things in videos, all of the different things that we've seen, uh, you know, things like your smartphone and being able to classify the photos on your smartphone and being able to recognize, oh, that's a car versus that's a plane versus, you know, that's your family. How does, how does a computer do that? Um, the field of machine learning is all about allowing uh, a computer to learn from the real world, to learn from data, to recognize patterns. And so therefore ingrained in machine learning is statistics, which is a very important branch of mathematics. And an example where I did not, let's say, appreciate it as fully as I do today when I was learning that in college and how critical that is today to things like artificial intelligence and machine learning. Another example is a branch of mathematics known as linear algebra, where you are looking at uh, doing computation with things like matrices and vectors, 
And it's not just about geometry or trigonometry or, or things like that, but you actually realize that things like linear algebra are also at the foundations of being able to have effective machine learning algorithms and how they work. Uh, it turns out that advances in things like neural networks and the, the new hot area in machine learning, deep learning, the, the core of it is the application of linear algebra, taking matrices and being able to do all kinds of math operations on matrices. That forms the basically the core engine on which modern machine learning and deep learning today are able to do what they do. So that's one. Yeah. Um, you also mentioned, you know, so when you look at quantum mechanics and quantum computing, in the physical sciences, quantum mechanics has been one of the breakthroughs, uh, revolutionary breakthroughs of the 20th century and still being researched in the 21st century, which is to understand the world at the microscopic or even the subatomic, the submicroscopic level in terms of how the physical world looks. What are the rules that define the behavior of things like subatomic particles, of light, of uh, the different forces of nature, and at very, very, very small scales versus the scale at which you and I exist, or let's say at the, at the scale of, uh, of the very large. And what we find is that the behavior and the rules that uh, dictate how the world operates at this very small fundamental level are in fact very counterintuitive, very much against common sense. Things can be in two places at the same time. Uh, things can have a very fuzzy nature to them. There's no such thing as it's exactly here doing exactly this thing, and I can predict with 100% certainty how that's going to work. It's, it's, it's basically ruled by the world, again, of statistics, statistical mathematics. Um, and also what you find is if you can, in fact, manipulate and take advantage of these rules that exist at this very small scale, that has implications for you know, revolutionary breakthroughs in the world of computing and how we store information and how we process information. So as we probably are all familiar with the concept of a bit, a zero and a one, all of computer science is built on the idea that you store information as a zero or as a one, and then you perform different mathematical operations on that to be able to compute different kinds of algorithms. But quantum computing basically says that things can be zero and one at the same time and everything in between. And so at the same in the, in the same state, you're able to say it's not just a zero, one, or two states. It can have many, many different states. And then that has big implications on very complex problems and how you can solve them. And things that a traditional computer would take a very long time or would not be able to solve at all because there just isn't, there's just too much complexity there. That becomes tractable or solvable when you are able to effectively allow or um, employ techniques uh, that use the uh, concepts in quantum mechanics and its application known as quantum computing. So this is amazing because we've now you've now basically given a huge laundry list of applications for math and all these amazing and interesting fields, and we haven't even got to how it work how it goes in you know how it's employed in your line of work, which is so cool. And this is this is such a great thing why why I've had Samir on because yeah he does. He does do a lot. He works very hard in at Qualcomm and in his different roles, but he has all these other interests that are all they're sort of aligned with what he does in a, in a way because it's science based, it's math based. So this is really cool and actually unexpected. I didn't know you had so much knowledge about how math applies to all these fields. So it's 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 awesome. So guys, hope, hopefully that all that stuff 
was as interesting to you as it was to me. And now I, what I'd love to do is is get into – now I'd, I'd love to shift the focus to talking about your role at Qualcomm. Maybe I, – I think I understand generally what you do, but maybe you could give – another run through briefly of what you do there on a day-to-day basis and then tie in mathematics in your, in your daily work. Sure. So um, as my, as you mentioned, my title is senior director of uh, product management and business development. So I'll talk more about the product management part of it because there, there is definitely uh, elements of math that are very key to what I do and how I go about doing it. Business development is more about partnerships uh, and building relationships and also the, the legal aspects of uh, contractual relationships and agreements. So that part we, let's say, won't have to focus on too much. But when you think about product management and what I do on a day-to-day basis, you have to think about, you know, you know from a business side, when you look at new R&D initiatives, new uh, technologies that are being researched or new products that may come out in the future, uh, a very traditional product management function that you would say any good product manager anywhere, whether it's Qualcomm or somewhere else, has to do, is to be able to quantify what is the opportunity, how much of a business impact it can have in terms of how do you make money, how, what does the revenue model look like, what is the size of the market. So market sizing is a, is a you know, very critical function that I have to perform along with my colleagues and peers and others in the industry. And market sizing fundamentally is employing you know, very basic mathematics that all of us are are familiar with, Um, being able to say, well, this is how big the market is today. This is how much I think it's going to grow over the next few years. So, um, you know, things like uh, concepts that we'll learn or have already learned, like um, uh, growth and compound annual growth, uh, being able to then say the market is going to be this big in this time frame, and then being able to use other market sizing types of uh, approaches to say, well, this is how much of the market let's say Qualcomm can capture or a certain type of proposition. And then being able to also go further and say, well, what kind of price or what will the market bear in terms of uh, how much you can charge for a new product or service? How much is it going to cost for you to develop that new product or service? And then being able to bring that all together and say, this is how big the market is. This is how much of the market we can capture. This is what it's going to cost for us to actually develop the product or service, as well as to uh, the effort we have to put in in terms of dollars or resources to be able to capture that portion of the market and then use that to help inform a decision if it makes sense for Qualcomm or you know, whatever other company to actually invest in a particular space uh, and um, enter the market. So that's kind of the, the traditional product management type of work. But because it's not just doing this in a vacuum where you're, you know, sizing markets and figuring out how much money you can make. You also have to work very closely with the engineering team to understand what is the value that you're bringing to the market and quantifying that value, quantifying, you know, what is the differentiator in, let's say, Qualcomm doing it versus one of its competitors. And a lot of that also requires, uh, you know, uh, mathematical thinking and being able to either work with the engineers or work independently to do things like figure out what is the performance going to be of what you're going to offer and how does that compare to what either your customers are telling you they need or what your competitors are able to offer today and your projections of where they'll they will be in the time frame that you enter the market. 
And so that is an exercise in looking at, well, how fast is it? How much energy does it consume? One of the things that Qualcomm has established its market leadership position in is things like being very efficient, being very low power in things like smartphones or mobile devices or you know things that run in a battery-constrained environment. So a lot of what we do, we have to say, yes, you can do X, Y, and Z, but that's great if it's running in a server or running in the cloud and has you know uh, lots and lots of power that it can consume. How do we scale that down to run on a battery power device and perform the kinds of workloads that people do, let's say, on their smartphones or on their drones? And so then being able to predict what is the performance envelope of what you want to offer. And there, again, you're doing things like figuring out how much energy it's going to consume, uh, how much compute can it do at what throughput. So these are, again, there's a lot of engineering and math-related activities that go into this. Now, as a product manager, it's not my responsibility to define that from the ground up, but I have to be very competent in aspects of engineering and computer science and math to be able to evaluate and to be able to have an effective conversation with my engineering colleagues as to what makes sense and what doesn't make sense and what's real and what's not real in uh, being able to then define the, the, the performance metrics or the, the, you know, the, the performance indicators that would, that would go into saying this is the value that Qualcomm is going to offer to the market for a particular product or solution. So now it's, it's interesting because it's it's similar it's a similar idea in patent law where you may not actually be you're not actually engineering you're not designing technology but an understanding of the technology essentially being able to speak the language comes in very handy and it's it's the same idea I think is what it sounds like being a product manager you may not be actually doing the engineering but you need to know what's going on you need to be able to understand it and that comes down to fluency with both technology and sounds like also with mathematics that's right. That's exactly right. And for specifically for the area that I spend most of my time on today, which is in the arena of machine learning and artificial intelligence, you know, I, I get a little, you know, it makes me smile just how much of this entire field is grounded in mathematics. That was, you know, one or maybe two classes for me in my undergrad engineering, which was linear algebra and understanding, you know, vectors, how, do, how you multiply vectors, how you multiply vectors and matrices and ultimately, in machine learning and artificial intelligence, it's all about how fast you can multiply these things and at what power. And really optimizing those two things is what allows you to build a platform on which you can create new kinds of use cases and new kinds of um, scenarios that are powered by machine learning and artificial intelligence. But at the very heart of this is linear algebra and things like multiplying matrices together, which is, you know, quite fascinating to me that, you know, when I was learning linear algebra in, in Cornell, this was not something that, you know, yes, I'm sure a group of researchers were very focused on this and it was very important, but certainly not in masses and in the mainstream public idea, as well as even the tech community in general, this was not the focus of what is the killer application of things like multiplying matrices together. Mm-hmm. Right. And now I, I've asked different professions. I had a data scientist on who talked about mental math. I've had a, a construction engineer who talked about mental math. And I'm just curious, with your day-to-day role, is being able to multiply in your head or do different arithmetic operations in your head, does that come up or is that not as important in what you do? I think when you do things like back of the envelope, so as a as a product management professional, 
you always have to be in a position to evaluate when someone makes a claim, whether it's you know something that's written down in a paper or a publication or uh, in a blog post or wherever, or someone makes it to you verbally because you're talking to them, being able to do back of the envelope. Well, okay, if you're saying you know it'll cost this much, well, the market is this big and it's going to take this long to get to it. That means that the total opportunity is let's say X hundreds of millions of dollars. That's all about being able to do very fast uh, mental math. And yes, whether it's multiplication or division, but the simple arithmetic operations, being able to manipulate those in your head uh, or doing, you know, you know, like uh, being able to calculate percentages or things like that. Um, it's, it's almost pervasive, whether it's in your personal life or in your professional life. I mean, I'm, I don't have to do it every day, but yes, there's many, many times uh, and frequently that, you know, if, if I'm good at doing that, it allows me to more quickly evaluate what someone is saying or what a, a document is telling me and also sometimes making some kind of assessment or decision on the spot. Okay, awesome. Well, there you have it. So now we've heard it from multiple people, multiple professions, the importance of mental math. I had an episode just on the importance of mental math. So it's not just me saying it. It's a lot of people. Hopefully that will give you some motivation to try and put your calculator away when you're going through your homework and really give it a shot just from your brain. Okay, Samir, I know you have tons of things to do. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. That was illuminating to say the least. And I hope everybody out there listening had a great time and enjoyed it as much as I did. If you want to check out the show notes, go to www.scalarlearning.com. And again, if you have any questions for me, feel free to email me at huzefa at scalarlearning.com. And please, again, if you haven't yet, subscribe to this podcast for more awesome content. It was great having you guys listen in today. I'll see you guys next time. Take it easy.